0: I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. For some time now, we've been discussing parts of the plan to set up the New World Order, which is coming together faster than anyone ever anticipated. Those at the top echelon of this kingdom I refer to here as the elite. I want to shift gears and zoom in on how the elite is orchestrating the financial piece of this global takeover. Today's episode is Follow the Money, Part 1, The Players Behind the Planned Financial Crisis. There's a lot to this, so along the way I'll be pointing out biblical insights we need to pay attention to especially what we can do to protect ourselves financially when and if this econoquake comes. Let me mention the resources I will draw from. First is a book called The Road to Ruin, The Global Elite's Secret Plan for the Next Financial Crisis. It's by best-selling author James Rickards. Rickards is an American lawyer, economist, investment banker, and expert on matters of finance and precious metals. Secondary sources include recent publications from the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the European Central Bank. A third outside resource is a recent talk delivered at Hillsdale College in the fall of 2021 by Michael Rechtenwald, the Chief Academic Officer for American Scholars. His topic was called the Great Reset, a term that's gaining popularity now that's used to describe the brainchild of the World Economic Forum, the WEF, which is made up of the world's political, economic, and cultural elite that meet every year in Davos, Switzerland. And a final resource in this episode are publications that I have received over the years from Chaplain Lindsay Williams, to whom God gave intimate knowledge of the elite starting back in the 1970s. He learned firsthand how they operate. I will include links to these resources in my podcast notes you'll find at CandiceLong.com. So who are some of the key players to take note of? Interestingly, two of them are women who have risen to power in the global financial sector and both are listed among Forbes' 100 Most Powerful Women's List in 2021. First is Christine Lagarde, listed as number three on Forbes' list as the first woman ever named to head the European Central Bank. Lagarde is a French politician and lawyer who became managing director of the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, in 2011 as a result of the scandal of her predecessor, Dominique Strauss-Kahn, who allegedly assaulted a hotel maid. So for eight years, Lagarde headed up the IMF, and at the end of 2019, she was named president of the European Central Bank. Now, as such, she oversees all of the national central banks within the euro system. This position is absolutely critical in forming the one-world currency, which is central to the New World Order agenda. The second woman to take note of is Kristalina Georgieva number 22 on Forbes list of women in power, and the person the elite chose to replace Christine Lagarde as head of the IMF. I want to tell you a little more about Georgieva. She is a highly regarded Bulgarian economist whose humanitarian efforts to help developing nations attracted the attention of the elite. Over the course of her career, she became vice president of the European Commission, was even nominated as the United Nations Secretary General, and then moved through the ranks of the World Bank Group to become its president at the beginning of 2019. Now, just nine months later, she was named to replace Christine Lagarde as Managing Director of the International Monetary Fund. And I found it interesting that Georgieva was the only nominee for the job and is the first person from a developing nation to hold this office. So bottom line, both of these women came to their respective positions of power just before the pandemic hit. I listened to Eva speak on the 2020 state of the global economy during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, and she described the pandemic as a crisis like no other, the world economy shrinking almost 5 percent and set to lose some 12 trillion dollars. As she was pleased to report then that the IMF had provided emergency loans to some 75 nations who had defaulted on their loans during the pandemic fallout. I just want to say here that this is a key signal. When the pandemic threw the world's economies into a tailspin, the countries couldn't pay the interest on their loans. So who came in to save the day? The International Monetary Fund, which had the plan already in place to keep these nations afloat, and now they are deeply indebted to the IMF, which is what the elite wants them to be. Now, what struck me about Georgieva was how compassionate and caring she comes across, which is a far cry from the more cold, businesslike demeanor of Christine Lagarde. I actually thought to myself while listening oh my goodness, this woman oozes compassion. She will have every nation in the world believing how much the IMF cares for them. Now, I'm not saying that Georgieva was faking compassion because I believe this is one of her strengths, but I have learned to look past whoever is performing in the public spotlight to the ones who put her in that spotlight in the first place. Now, during the interview, Georgieva said that her birthday was coming up and she was going to take a personal trip to Bretton Woods. Now, the interviewer asked why, and she said, I want to soak up the atmosphere and become inspired. Now, my internal radar sounded the alarm. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with Bretton Woods, it is located in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. According to Wikipedia, the Bretton Woods Conference was formerly known as the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference. It was the gathering of 730 delegates from all 44 allied nations that were called to regulate the international monetary and financial order after World War II ended. In a minute, I'll explain why my alarm bells rang with George ever going to Bretton Woods. But first, I want to share a little backstory about our monetary system. Throughout history, world money was always considered to be gold. But after 1914, the elite began putting a new plan into action. 1914 was a significant year, Because at the very end of 1913, the Federal Reserve System was created in secret by the elite in Jekyll Island, Georgia, as a way to control everybody's money. Now, a fascinating book on this subject is The Creature from Jekyll Island, A Second Look at the Federal Reserve. It's written by G. Edward Griffin. The elite's plan was to get the average person, like you and me, to accept banknotes, like the dollar bill, instead of doing business with physical gold. Now, in 1933, under executive order, you may recall that President Roosevelt required U.S. citizens to surrender their private gold, and he took the United States off the gold standard. This was following the Great Depression, when everyone was scared and began hoarding gold. So the elite took advantage of people's fears. What happened next was that all of the people's gold went from private hands to Federal Reserve banks and was then transferred to the U.S. Treasury. Now, this was all happening simultaneously in the U.K. and other developed economies. So basically, the wealthiest governments in the world made physical gold disappear and by 1936, the U.S. had more gold than it could store. Now, during World War II, the only major gold dealer was a bank called the Bank for International Settlements, BIS, located in Switzerland. The BIS is owned by, you guessed it, central banks. It was the BIS, by the way, that brokered the gold that the Nazis stole from the Jews. So after World War II in 1944, all of the nation's economies were a mess. It was at Bretton Woods that the elite rolled out their plan to restore financial order, a plan, by the way, that had been planned for many, many years. At Bretton Woods, they restored order by valuing each currency of the 44 nations to the U.S. dollar, at a fixed exchange rate relative to gold. You see, gold was still considered then to be world money, but only the dollar was circulating. Now, what I want you to take note of is that the U.S. dollar was the peg, the international currency that every other country was pegged to. You'll see shortly that during the crisis the elite is planning now, The U.S. dollar will no longer be the peg. But back to 1944, following that economic fix at Bretton Woods, the nation started demanding gold in exchange for dollars. Now, this became a problem for the United States because we had so much gold. In 1971, President Nixon, who was told what to do by the elite, severed the link between the dollar and gold to keep other governments from redeeming more and more dollars for gold and wiping out our stash. Since then, the demand for gold by governments skyrocketed. Let me give you a present look at the nations who have the most gold. The United States holdings are 8,000 tons. The Eurozone, which is comprised of 19 member states of the European Union that have the euro as their primary currency, they have a reported 10,000 tons. The IMF has 3,000 tons. And China has reported it has between 8,000 and 9,000 tons. Okay, so let's go back now to the new head of the IMF, Kristalina Georgieva, who was excited over her trip to Bretton Woods. I asked myself, why would Georgieva want to go to Bretton Woods now to be inspired in her words? Now, this was the fall of 2020. We had been through a whole year of the pandemic, which had badly hurt the economies of every nation. I believe her excitement was because she knew that the end game of the elite was about to unfold. And what is that end game? It is to instill worldwide chaos and financial uncertainty, which would necessitate a global financial reset by the IMF to save the day. She wanted to soak up all of that atmosphere at Bretton Woods, knowing that the fate of every nation's financial stability would rest on her shoulders as leader of the IMF, and a good performance by her would boost her leadership standing on the world stage. When I listened to her speak, I heard the voice of a woman who carries a strong personal mandate to lead during whatever crisis is waiting in the wings. The IMF and the higher powers that it reports to have waited for this day a long time. Their motto, as you may recall, comes from the playbook of the Freemasons, called Ordo Ab Keo, which means Order Out of Chaos. When I finished listening to the interview, I called a very respected financial expert from Atlanta who sent me the link to her interview in the first place. And I asked him whether I was hearing correctly. In other words, was I hearing the real subtext behind her words I said to him, so it doesn't matter how many trillions of dollars in debt the U.S. is in, something is about to happen which will trigger a global monetary reset, whereby every currency will be wiped clean of all debt and reset according to whatever value they set for the currency. And he said, you got it. Now, as an aside, This is why our government leaders keep adding trillions to our debt. They know it cannot possibly be paid back, but they also know some unknown event is coming that will bring every nation to its knees. That our debt, as well as the debts of every other country, will have to be wiped clean in order for the entire international monetary system to start over or reset itself under a new currency. Only this time, the currency that the nations will be pegged to will not be the U.S. dollar. It will be the one-world currency, which we'll discuss more in Part 2. So what are the global elite like? In the time remaining, I want to bring you a perspective on what they are like. And that perspective comes from Chaplain Lindsay Williams, who is now in his mid-80s. I have followed Chaplain Williams for many, many years and believe his story and his credibility. In 1974, God called him to move to Alaska to minister to the men who were working on the Alaskan pipelines. Now, through that move, God miraculously opened doors and brought him to the attention of the elite who just happened to own the entire operation there. They became so indebted to Chaplain Williams because his ministry with the workers saved them so much money, they ended up naming him Chaplain to the Alaskan Oil operation. They even invited him to sit in on their board meetings, which gave him a front-row seat to learn just how much control the elite really has in the affairs of the world. He became good friends with two of them, who over the years fed him information as to what they were planning to do so that the chaplain could protect himself and his family. Now, they knew that he was sharing this information with others, for that has been his ministry for many years. But they did not threaten his life for revealing their secrets. Now, let me share a few insights from publications that I received in the last few years, and this is in his own words. Number one, he said that everything that the elite said they were going to do happened just as they planned. When I once asked my friends whether or not they were Republicans or Democrats, they just laughed and said, Chaplain, we own both sides. They will do whatever we tell them to do. Number two, here's the way the elite operates when financing a company. They financed A&P's rise to be the number one leader in the grocery market. And by the time I was 11, A&P didn't need the elite anymore. They had made their fortune and paid off their debt. Even though the elite made billions in interest, A&P was no longer any interest to them, so they ordered congressional pawns to break up the monopoly. A&P lost their market share as the elite then began to finance Safeway and Kroger. Now, from other stories Williams has shared over the years, this is a key behavioral thread I want you to be aware of in how the elite operates. They make their money, and then they destroy the entity, in this case, A&P, when it no longer serves their purposes. Number three. In one of his reports, he said, Years ago, the elite invited me to an island in the Bahamas to learn how they carry on their finances. They indoctrinate everyone who is in leadership positions to this way of life because it makes them money. Then they are beholding to the elite because of their financial know-how and will vote the way the elite want them to. The only thing they were not able to control was Donald Trump. Now, regardless of your feelings about President Trump, from Williams' intimate knowledge, he said Trump is not one of them. Around 2013, the elite friends revealed to the chaplain that George Soros built all the voting machines to ensure that Hillary would win the presidency. Now, following the 2016 election, this friend sent Williams an email with only two words, "God." intervened. Williams believes very strongly that the United States was given four years to repent and return to the Lord. Now, the last DVD that I received from him revealed four things that the elite were planning to do just prior to the elections on November 3, 2020, pending another divine intervention. Number one was the coronavirus aftermath. Williams revealed that the elite were behind the release of the coronavirus. It was designed as a dry run to see what they could get away with. He explained that their number one reason for releasing it was to close the churches of America. In the 1980s, a French diplomat named Alexis de Tocqueville came to America to find out why America was so great. He couldn't find the reason anywhere until he went to churches and heard hellfire, damnation, and repentance being preached. He went back to France and wrote his classic book, Democracy in America. He wrote, America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Now, Chaplain Williams encouraged churches to resume worship and appeal to the Lord on behalf of our nation. Number two, he talked about another plague. Now, this was back in 2020. Williams said that if the elite have their way, a second plague, which would be much worse, would be released and Williams urged the audience to build up our immune systems, and we certainly have seen this occur with the Delta variant. Number three, weather disturbances. He revealed that the elite are controlling our weather systems in order to bring about further chaos. They have sophisticated technology to direct weather systems through scalar waves. Now, their ultimate plan is to bring such damage to crops that farmers will be unable to harvest them. Again, to bring about faster the planned financial crisis. And finally, he talked a little bit about the elite's plans for the iPhone. Now, you likely know this, but this was on William's warning list before we saw it unfold. But there are built-in apps within every iPhone able to detect within 10 feet of where everyone is. Now, when the plague hit... They would know where you are and everyone you have come in contact with, and they could order you to be quarantined. Remember, the name of their game is Absolute Control. Now, just yesterday as I was writing this, the fifth generation technology known as 5G launched a major rollout in the United States. We have yet to see how this will affect us. But I want to follow the money. AT&T and Verizon alone have invested purportedly well over one hundred billion dollars for a broadband signal estimated to reach over two billion people. Now you can bet that any industry that controls communications with that many people are under the watchful eye of the elite. In closing. It is critical that we begin and end each day by confessing out loud that no matter how much we feel boxed in, our God has the power and dominion. He is coming very soon to set up His kingdom and promises safety to those of us who choose to dwell under the shadow of His wings and in the shelter of the Almighty. Above all, we are not to fear, ever. He is looking for his army who will stand with him in this evil day. I want to thank you so much for listening. You will find this episode and all of the resources on my podcast page at candislong.com. And we'll continue with Follow the Money, Part 2 next time. I'd love to hear from you, and I hope that you join me again for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless.